0: Hey, it's so good to be with you. Welcome everybody watching online or maybe at home later on down the road. Welcome. We're wrapping up our series "Spent," and I keep getting great feedback from people who maybe just needed some money coaching. I'm I'm no money genius. I just know a few verses the Bible says and today will be no different. So let me just ask you this quick question to launch us off today. Uh, Do you ever get tired of everybody asking for your money? Some of you are like, am I allowed to say yes in church? Well, just to maybe set this up a little, there was a lady named Sandra Hayes and uh, she won the Missouri Lottery along with 12 co workers in 2006. They split $224 million. Let me add them. Let me do it. She, uh, she retired as a social worker and she started kind of writing about her experience. And uh, she wrote a book called How Winning the Lottery Changed My Life. But what was fascinating is what she said. She said she had to adapt to this new kind of living, it, it totally changed her relationship with her family and friends. In fact, she said, and I quote, I had to endure the greed and the need that people have, trying to get you to release your money to them. This caused a lot of emotional pain. These people who you've loved deep down, they're turning into vampires. And they're trying to suck the life out of me. So think about it for a minute, we're coming up on Christmas, we're almost at the end of Thanksgiving and we're getting there, right? Like it's time, you got kids, maybe grandkids, friends, family, you're going to see literally beggars, right, on the street. You're going to get people mailing things home to you, telling you give money to this or give money to that. There's going to be life group Christmas parties, company Christmas parties, Black Friday, small business Saturday, Cyber Monday, and Give Back Tuesday. How are we doing? You got any money left? Maybe you didn't win the lottery, but you're feeling depleted from all the asks. I don't know about you. My kids are already brainstorming and dreaming and telling me all the things they want, which are about 100 times the amount of things they're actually going to get. Unless my mother is watching, in which case, do not buy them more. I'm just kidding. Ironically, in the book, The Advent Conspiracy, three pastors wrote this. I love this quote. How strange and sad it is that debt and consumerism reach their pinnacle on the morning we celebrate the birth of Jesus. The Savior who came to liberate us from these things. You ever read the Christmas story? At least up until the birth, we've got the wise men, they're a little bit different, but up th- till the birth, there's only one person who gives anything in the entire story it's God. He's the only spender in the story. Everybody else is a receiver. Everybody else. And the Bible has a ton to say on both giving and receiving. I literally could spend our entire time today reading you Bible passages and not get to read them all. But what I do want to do today is focus in on a few of them because just like debt and just like saving and just like all those other things, I think the Bible has tremendous wisdom that's going to help guide your life, some principles about the way God built things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul writes this. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, it could make you rich. That's very confusing. If you don't just stop and think about it for a minute, what does that mean? Well, Jesus in heaven was worshiped as God. He was very rich. He became poor, came to dwell among you. Literally, it says he had no place to lay his head. He didn't always know where his next meal was coming from. He became poor so that when he died on the cross, he could give you life, which would make you what? Rich. The riches often talked about in scripture are the riches of God's presence and His blessing and His provision in your life. God gave you that when He gave you Jesus. God intended to make you rich, but not necessarily in the way that maybe we're thinking of. We at Kingsway believe that, that our mission in life, if you could just summarize it in one very simple phrase, it's this you ready? Is to become like. Christ. At the end of every year, we can simply ask this question. Were we more like Christ in 2018 than we were in 2017? If we could keep answering yes collectively and individually, then we're doing good. We're accomplishing what God has purpose for us. So when it comes to this, our goal is to say, who is God as it relates to being generous? And how do we become like him? What we don't want to become is like Ebenezer Scrooge. Does anybody even know who Ebenezer Scrooge is today? And I'm not talking about ducktails. Great cartoon, though. Kind of fits the bill. Most of us don't know, but Ebenezer Scrooge is this man who had tons and tons and tons of wealth, and he didn't want to give it away, didn't want to help anybody. He was too stingy. He was what we would call a miser. I don't know if you know that phrase. Did you know that the root of the word miserable is miser? See, there's a connection, even in our language, between being stingy, being frugal you might say being greedy and being miserable now let me ask you this question have you ever daydreamed if i could just for a brief moment just win the lottery i would so pay off my kids houses i would put away retirement plans for all of my family members i would buy my spouse that thing she's always wanted but couldn't afford i would pay off my parents home and debt i would have you ever had that dream some of you are like, yeah. I had that dream. In fact, it was it was like a month or so ago. I went back to visit my mom, and um, my mom was like, Wow, did you see that the new Powerball I can't remember what it was like up to like $720 million, some crazy number because they changed the way they count it, so now the numbers are getting bigger, but it's also harder to win, or whatever the number was. And she's like, Wow, and I was like, Yeah, one of these days I hope to win that. You know, the problem is I don't buy tickets. So if one of you, Christmas this year, okay, so um, just kidding. But here's the catch. We fantasize about what we would do with hundreds of millions of dollars. But the reality is this. What you do with what you have is what you would do if you had more. Let that sink in for a minute. What you do with what you have is what you would do if you had more. The problem is never a more issue. The problem is always a contentment issue as we talked about last week. It's always a matter of what am I doing with what I have? In fact, there's a guy named Jack Whitaker. Jack Whitaker also was a millionaire prior to winning the lottery. He won $315 million in West Virginia in 2002. He was 55 years old. He had a construction company he was a president of at the time. Four years after winning the lottery, He lost a daughter and a a granddaughter to drug overdoses. He blamed both of those on what he called the curse of the Powerball. In fact, according to ABC News, he said, and I quote, my granddaughter is dead because of the money. You know, my wife had said she wished that she had torn the ticket up. Well, I wish that we had torn the ticket up too. Whitaker was also robbed at another point of $545,000 while sitting in his car in a strip club parking lot eight months after winning. He says, and I quote, I just don't like Jack Whitaker. I don't like the hard heart that I've got. I don't like what I've become. Money will change you, did you know that? It may not change you for the better. My guess is this, if you are a generous person with whatever it is you have, then you'll be a generous person if you were to have more. But if you are a miser now, guess what you'd be with more? A miser. Now you might say, oh, no, you know how many millions I'd give away? Yeah, but again, think about the whole. If you had $225 million and you gave $2 million away, that would be generous, but it really wouldn't be any more generous than maybe some of us are still being today. You're like, pastor, you got to be so harsh. Don't worry, it gets worse. I mean better. Let's just ask a really honest question, okay? Because this is the one I've told you, I'm giving you biblical wisdom. I'm gonna get a lot of Bible verses here in a minute. Where is the healthy line between sinfully spending all that I have and joyfully leveraging it? Like, does the Bible tell me anywhere where I can stand in there? Well, I believe this. I told you this for three weeks now. I'm gonna keep saying it. The Bible's teaching on money wants to give you freedom and peace. And joy in it when it comes to money, if I start to talk about giving and receiving, if I'm talking about those things and you don't feel freedom, peace and joy, then your heart is not where God's heart is because you might love your money more than you love God, or you might be afraid and intimidated because you have unbelievable debt. What I want to talk to you about is supposed to give you freedom and peace and joy because they're biblical principles that God has put in place. So let's talk about real quick what the Bible says. We're going to look at a lot of verses today, so I don't expect you to keep up. Just watch the screen. They'll all be on there. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. Let's start with this. Here Solomon writes, a generous person will what? Prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This is what I would call a promise. A promise. This is a statement. It's a general statement. It doesn't mean if you're generous, you're never gonna have a bad or hard season. It's not what it says. But what it is saying is if you will choose to be generous, you will prosper. There are many, many, many Bible passages that back this up. That God is the one who gives. And so when God gives and you are joined his heart, you become like him and then you give, he gives you more so you can keep giving. He's not gonna give you more so you can get rich. It's about prospering so that you may be refreshed. Again, Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. That doesn't mean we don't receive. It just means that there is something in the connection of giving that we can't explain. It just reflects who our Heavenly Father is. Check this one out. I actually saw this one this week. I was at a spiritual retreat this week. I got to go to Colorado where I'm pretty sure Jesus lives in the mountains. At least I saw him again. And... um, I was with a few other pastors, and one of the pastors shared this verse, and I was like, man, I'm writing that down. I'm sharing that Sunday. Here we go. Psalm 112, Psalm 112, verses 4 through 8. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. Man, I immediately shared that to Facebook. I was just stirred by the encouragement of that. The righteous will be blessed and cared for, to provided and protected by God. Who are the righteous? They're the ones who are generous and compassionate to God this world, why? Because that is who our Father is. So, let me just be very, very clear. Who does God say we should be generous to? Pretty simple, right? Simple question, you wanna know the answer. The first one might surprise you. Here we go, number one, our children. Praise God, what you're doing at Christmas time may very well be a godly thing. Don't go overboard, let me give you some wisdom, all right. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, it says this. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. Okay, I've been telling you the Proverbs, there's usually two statements, and usually the one clarifies, reflects on, or adds to somehow the other statement. So what in the world does this mean? I think you could summarize this one in a very simple pattern. Number one, if you are a good person, in other words, you love God, you're following after God, then you will have something to leave your children and your grandchildren. The reason it doesn't say children is because it's implied. In other words, you're going to give an inheritance. Now, what is the greatest inheritance that you can give your children and your grandchildren? The greatest one you can give is your faith, it's not your money. But as you have poured out your faith in your life and your children, guess who they're most molded by? Every study in the world shows, they're not molded most by MTV or Instagram or whatever it is, they're molded the most by parents. So your love, your faith will be deposited into them, the deposit into your grandkids, but you also will have taught them how to handle money, that you are a blessing, that God is blessing you and you are blessing them. In fact, I recently heard from a grandfather who said they buy a vacation for all of their kids and grandkids every year. They put money aside to do that. And they tell the kids, when we're on vacation, uh, as long as you go on an excursion with us, we'll pay. It motivates the kids and the grandkids to hang out with grandma and grandpa a little bit. They want to be a blessing, not just once, but they want to continue to be a blessing. But the second part here, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. All this is, is a statement about where it all ultimately comes from. One of the biggest things, if you're visiting with us, maybe you don't know God, you don't know Jesus yet. Let me just tell you, one of the greatest things you can come to the realization of is that God is gracious and generous and he wants to give. He sends the rain on the good and the evil. But here's the thing, if we do not reflect our Heavenly Father's heart, we'll just live a selfish life. And the more selfish the life we live, the more we will spend our money and it'll just go away. And God will just make sure that that gets funneled back to those who are good and godly. All right, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 21. There's some wisdom here that we need to add to what we just read. An inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed at the end. You're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's pretty simple. How many of you know somebody, don't raise your hand in case it's your kids, how do you how many of you know somebody who received some money and they were too young and too immature to handle it and so they blew it? You're like, I said don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. The point is, yes, we are to leave an inheritance for our kids and our grandkids, but we need to be careful. We need not give them something they can't handle. I know, and I was a youth pastor for 10 years, I know far too many teenagers who went off to college and ruined their lives. They train wrecked their lives. They had way too much freedom. Their parents had covered way too many of the bills. They didn't get a job or didn't have to get a job, so they had too much leisure time that they poured into drinking and drugs and sleeping around and moving in with their boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it is. Listen, parents, real quick, free advice, take it or leave it. I don't have a verse that says it. This is Matt Nickerson from the MNV. It says this. <laughs> parents... Do not thoughtlessly finance immorality, drunkenness, and spiritual rebellion, whether they're in your house or out of your house. Just because it'll be appreciated at the beginning and claimed doesn't mean it'll be a blessing in the end. Use wisdom when you're doling this out. Personally, I think, I think, teenagers and young adults, I think they need to have some investment in both their higher education and in life. If you're covering every bill, Every car insurance, all the cars, everything, you're not teaching them how to live as an adult in the real world. So teach them the value of money. All right. Number two, that was number one, your children. That was easy, right? Number two, the needy, the needy. Proverbs 14, 21 says this, it is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 14, 31, just jump ahead 10 verses. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. God is a gracious God. He takes personal responsibility to care for those who cannot care for themselves. There are many, many Bible passages that talk about fighting for the truth in what is right in what is good and about those who have taking care of those who do not have. In fact, in the New Testament, James and John both hit on this heavy. James goes so far as to say, how dare you? This is my translation. How dare you say to somebody who is hungry and naked and poor or cold, be warm and well-fed and do nothing about the fact that you have food and you have clothing and can help them but won't do it. John builds on those too, and he he applies it specifically to the Christian brother and sister. And says, if one of your brothers or sisters has a need, the whole definition of love is to meet the need. Proverbs 19, 17 says this: whoever is kind to the poor, this is fascinating, lends to the Lord. How in the world do you lend to the Lord? He's the maker of everything. There are more, there are so many Bible verses that say there is nothing we can give to Him that He does that He needs. So how do you lend to the Lord? Well, read the second part. And he will reward them for what they have done. What does that mean? It means that God intends to meet the needs of the earth through you. When God says he will care for the poor, God says he will care for the needy, he will care for the sick, the hungry. When it says that, he means he will do it through you. And when you do it, he's watching. He's taking notes. And he will be sure to reward you for joining him his ministry. By the way, this is one of the things I love about this church. This is a generous church. I don't know if you know this or not, but you saw the Dollar Club video. Maybe if you were late, you missed it. Go online, it'll be great. And the Dollar Club ministry, we began. Brett brought this idea to us. He kind of got it from another church, and he brought it to us, Brett Cadwell. And he said, I want to do this here at Kingsway. We're like, do it, let's do it. So, what we do is once a month, we gather up a dollar together and we give those dollars away to somebody check this out, not just somebody in need. There are so many needs in our community. We couldn't meet all of them. But what we try to do is try to fulfill these Bible passages. We want to be generous to generous people. We want to provide lifeblood, hope, resources to people who are being generous. And they're giving their lives, they're giving their effort, their energy to meet needs in the community. We wanna come alongside them and lift up their arms that are weary from ministry and work and say, keep going, don't quit, God loves you. And every time we show a video, it's like, that's so cool, isn't it? In the last two years since we began this ministry, we've given away almost $100,000, amazing. Now, some of that has come from other people in our church and community businesses who've come alongside us and said, we wanna help too. That's awesome, but in addition to that, in the last 12 months, so go from January 2018 to December, so I realize I'm fast-forwarding 30 days, but this is where we'll be. By the end of this year, we will have given away $518,000 to local missions and global missions. Yeah, you can clap for that. Now, you can add to that $518,000 over the last, again, over that 12-month span, We will be sending over, I don't remember the number, is over 200 people to mission trips. And on those trips, they're gonna have to pay for airfare and food and travel and all those expenses and shots, as well as project funds like apartments over here and churches over there. And all these things that we did on those projects, we raised an additional, in addition to that, $361,000 for a grand total of $879,000 that we have invested in local and global missions as a church in 2018. Praise God. Amazing. Amazing. Now, I'm gonna brag for a minute, but it, please, if you're visiting or watching online, this, this brag is not like arrogance brag. This is like I'm just proud of us. So, just to put it in context, I read other churches like year end reviews and what they're doing, how they're doing, and pray for them. And like, God, go, God, that's awesome. I'll just tell you that many churches who are four and five and six times our size or bigger aren't giving that much money away. I am so proud of our church. It's not talking about anybody else's church. I'm just so proud of the generosity of our church. We give to the needy. That leads us to number three, the church. I believe the Bible is emphatic that we, as people, are to give generously to the church. In fact, if you were to just go Google later, and look up, that's funny, Like you could say that in a sermon, it it makes sense. Like 10 years ago, I was like, what does that mean? If you were to just Google later, you would find that the most generous people on the face of the earth, hands down, are Christians. Christians specifically in local churches there are all kinds of phenomenal organizations begun by Christians there are also many nonprofit organizations not knocking what they've done but it's really not even close the Christians hands down are the most generous in many communities both in America and around the world there are churches who take care of people who are hungry and cold or sick or hurting and churches are the ones who've begun those Have you ever noticed how many hospitals around the United States and around the world have names like Baptist or Lutheran, Presbyterian, or Methodist? Why? Because Christians have consistently been the most generous. Now, I realize there's a motif out there in the media that Christians are not that way, but it's simply not true. In fact, if you were to remove Christians from the earth, it would be a very, very desperate and desolate place. We as a church... Believe what the Bible says. There's a pattern. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 4, here's how the first church acted. It is related to giving. Verse 34 it says, There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. So what would happen is people who had extra would sell the extra they had. Like, I don't need two coats. One coat will keep me warm. And I'll take the money and I'll give it to the church. Because the church leaders, guys like myself and others on staff, Brett and Todd and others, and Dan, we pray about and are always looking at opportunities to advance the kingdom of God all over the place. How do we help fulfill the commission of God the mission of God on the earth and the early church said you know what we're not as equipped to do that as the people who see those needs all the time like the church leaders so they would bring the money to the church to redistribute and that's what we do here's the reason why that's powerful because if I go and help somebody on the corner and I give money and I do or if I find somebody and I help them you know who gets the credit me and I gotta be honest I love the credit I'm not gonna lie I love helping people and people talk about how awesome I am. I know. My kids, one of the favorite statements around the house is, dad is awesome. I have trained them well. (laughs) They also say, boys rule, girls drool, and I don't know where they got that. But here's the thing. Giving through the church takes our ego out of it. Because what happens when you give through the church is Jesus gets the praise and his church gets the gratitude. Have you ever noticed the beating that the church takes in the community? Not just... I here hear your name on, but around the United States. How many times have you heard the phrase, or maybe you've thought this before, I'm okay with Jesus, it's Christians I can't stand. The church is more known today for what it's against than for what it's for. So what happens is when we collectively bring our dollars together, we collectively make a difference in the world, and then collectively God gets the praise. So giving this way really takes advantage of our combined wisdom and our combined resources. We can go further, faster. And when you give to the local church, you could see up close and personal the results. You could see people being won to Christ, lives being changed, marriages being saved, families being restored, children and teens being disciplined. And you can even take a mission trip and see the significant work being done around the world. But here, I want you to know something. Because if you're sitting there going, "I don't know, I don't," know, this whole giving to the church thing, whatever. Okay, so. Here is our ethic as a church. This comes right out of the Bible. When we talk about money, this is our dream. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 20 to 21. We as a church, this is our dream. We want to avoid, Paul says, any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In other words, what Paul is saying is, a lot of people will say, well, we stand before God. Yes, I will stand before God for every dime that is spent. However, a lot of people have manipulated money and funds saying I stand before God and not letting anybody else look into it. That is not our goal, that's not our hope. This is why we have an organization called Cape and Krause and they do a review of our stuff all the time every year, I believe it is, and they look into our finances and they give us a grade. How you doing? We get a phenomenal grade every year. They give us feedback. Here's some ways you could approve. Before we make any legal decision, we go to them and say, here's our documents. Here's our plan. Would you give us feedback? We wanna be not just right before God, but we wanna follow the fiduciary law. Some of you are like, I don't know what that word means. I didn't either until I became a lead pastor. We wanna follow what the government says is right and is legal. But even beyond that, we want the community to know we are investing the money that you give to us in a way that is honorable before God. I'm proud of this church. I'm proud of us. So now, let's talk real quick. What are three reasons for us to even give at all? We kind of talked about where we give. Let's talk about why we give. Well, the first one is this. It's an act of worship. I don't know if you knew that. Most of us, especially if you are in my generation, I would be considered a Gen X. I'm close to millennial, but I'm not quite, and uh, I'm too far away to be considered a boomer. Um, Praise God for both of those things. I like being Gen X and messed up. We don't know who we are. We can fit in anywhere. But anyway, (laughs) the thing about being Gen X is my generation began the worship wars. And the worship wars, those of you new to church, like churches will fight about anything. We'll fight about the color of the carpet. We'll fight about anything. It makes me sad. But... The worship wars were this. My generation came along and said, we don't really connect with the hymns the way the previous generation did, so we're gonna start all our own new songs. It took us a long time to kind of figure it out. And somebody kind of helped us figure out, a guy named Louis Giglio. He started a movement called the Passion Movement. And you don't know this, but many of the songs that we've sang in churches for the last 20 years that were created by the Passion Movement. But it was actually called the Passion Worship Movement. They would hold these big worship conferences and people would drive from all over the country. And I don't blame Louis. Louis has done such amazing work. I hope I get to meet him one day face to face, if not in heaven. But here's the thing: we started to believe that worship is singing. Worship is so much more than singing. It's at least singing. It's just so much more than singing. In fact, the biblical definition of worship has to do with sacrifice. Did you know that? In fact, here's just one of many, many, many verses. Psalm 96, verse eight says this. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. What is that? That's singing. That's worship. We're coming in with saying God is great. God is good. He's amazing. He's powerful. He's faithful. He's, he's abundant in his generosity and blessing. That's what we're doing in that first part. But then it says, bring an offering and come into his courts. So don't just come in to sing. Bring something with you to give. Worship, it says in verse nine the Lord and the splendor of his holiness tremble before him all the earth. I don't know if you know this or not, but the very first time the word worship is used in the Bible, I asked the last service, nobody got it. One guy was close. It's when Abraham takes his son Isaac up on Mount Moriah. And he looks at his servants before he goes up and he says, me and the boy, we're gonna go up and worship I don't think Isaac and Abraham are going up to sing songs. Abraham was taking his son up the mountain to be faithful to the Lord and make the greatest sacrifice a person could make. But he looks at his servants and says, we're gonna go up and worship and then we'll come back. See, worship is directly connected to sacrifice and offering. All right, second reason why we give is this, is to align our values to God's values. I have a friend who's uh, getting a job promotion. And with that, he doesn't know what yet, but he's gonna make a significant amount of money more than he's making today. And I'm so happy for him. I'm so proud of him. But here's my advice. You are living and surviving at what you make today. Before you find out what that number is, you need to sit down and make a plan with your spouse and say, what are we gonna do with the increase? Because otherwise, you will be tempted to do this. Proverbs chapter 30, verse eight and nine says this. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. What is Solomon saying here? What Solomon's saying is a great piece of wisdom. If I have too much, I will be tempted to think, I don't need God, look at all that I have. But if I have too little, I'll be tempted to think that God will not provide and go and take it for myself. See, when we become generous, what we do is we basically live in the constant place of God. It is your job to provide for me. Everything I have is yours, so I trust you. So God, whether I have a lot, I'm going to trust you by being generous and living in the fact that you will provide. I can be generous today if I have a lot, knowing you will give me more. I can also be generous if I don't have a lot, knowing you will give me more. I'll never have to steal, and I'll never have to forget you, because I'll always just walk with you. See, being generous aligns our values to the values of God. And then thirdly, and this one is huge, and I know I'm a pastor and I get paid to say these things, but I wanna show it to you in God's word. The third reason that we give is because we share God's kingdom of freedom and joy and peace found in Jesus Christ. When we give, that's what happens. Now, if you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ, what I'm about to say probably won't make sense to you. And that's okay, all right? So you just look on the outside and laugh at us. But for the rest of us who've accepted Jesus Christ, you know how radical that was. You know how you went, as the Bible calls, from death to life. You know how you went from darkness to light, from lost to found, from no family to a son or a daughter of God. What the Bible teaches us consistently is when we realize all that has been done for us to receive those gifts, it moves our heart to join God and making sure that everybody else in the entire world has the same opportunity. In two weeks, we're going to start the book of Luke, and we're going to start it at Christmas this year, and we're going to go all the way to Easter. We're going to walk. We're not even going to get through it all, all right? There's going to be way more for you to read in your own quiet time, but we're going to walk through the book, follow the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, to the cross and the resurrection. I'm so stoked for that. But because of that, I keep living in the book of Luke lately. I've been reading it a lot lately, so you keep hearing verses in Luke. And I came across this little gem a few weeks ago. Check this out. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuza, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, whoever she is, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Okay, what do you do with these little three verses? Here's what I do with them. Number one, in the ancient times, women were not respected or treated with the appropriate respect. In the beginning, God made them male and female. Both were made in his image. It takes male and female together to get the full image of God. Praise God for women. Am I right, men? Come on now, help me out, men. Thank you, thank you. All the married men went, oh, I better wake up and clap. Okay, so what Jesus did was radical. Because what Jesus did is he gave value to women that everybody else in the culture said were valueless. By listing Mary Magdalene who had these demons alongside of the wife, so get this, Herod is like the most powerful Hebrew man at the time. He's got lots of, he's a bad dude, go read history on this guy. But the guy who runs his household, his head servant, his wife converts to the faith. And we list those two ladies side by side because it has nothing to do with rich or poor, has nothing to do with prominence, has nothing to do with any of those things. Here's what it has to do with. It has to do with, did they meet Jesus? And these ladies, see, nobody would have ever given women prominence in that culture. I mean, if you want to accomplish something great, you don't go talk about the women who are doing it. you go talk about the great men who are doing it. And Jesus go grabs a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, and these ladies. It's like, Jesus, who are you building this kingdom of? I'm building this kingdom of people who've been set free. And then notice what it says at the very end. And when they've been set free, they helped out in setting others free out of their own means. The message of the gospel is so radical, it transforms cultures and communities and governments today. It's one of the reasons why many foreign governments repress Christianity and won't let it in. You could bring in almost any other religion. Do not bring Christianity in because it'll blow the whole thing up. It'll take the power away from the greedy and the prideful and hand it to the people and say, you know what? God loves you. He's for you. He's with you. Now let's go be a church. And the point is, when we get that, we join Jesus in advancing that to the end of the earth because we believe that message of peace and joy and freedom is the very message everybody needs. Dave Ramsey, I don't know where he got this, but he knows way more more about money than I'll ever know. Dave Ramsey said this, if every Christian in America tithed, that means gave 10% of your income, every Christian in America, not the world, there would be no more welfare In 90 days, there would be no more church debt. In the next 90 days, the entire world could be evangelized and there would be prayer and schools again because churches could buy and fund every single school. There is a sleeping giant in America and it's the church. And I want to be a part of a church that is set free. So with that, I wanna spend our remaining moments together sharing with you where I believe God is taking our church. There are two parts to this. Part one is I don't know yet and I'm gonna ask you to pray and fast with me. Part two is I do know and I'm stoked to tell you. Let's deal with part one. You ready? You guys remember the series? Maybe if you were here with us called Experiencing God. Anybody remember that? See your hands, help me out. All right. In experiencing God, I challenged you with this. I said one of the main points of the series was that God has invited you to join him on a mission. We're to see where God is at work, and then we're just going to join him in that work. Well, that wasn't just a challenge for each of you. That's also a challenge for us collectively as a church, as a community of faith, as a body of believers. So we know that God has invited Kingsway, not just you, but us, all of us, to join him on a mission. And we have our eyes open to see where God is at work. So we've accepted that. As your pastor, we're going, okay, God, what do you want for this church? As long as you'll have me here, we want to go somewhere and do something significant to advance the kingdom. So here's a question. What has God been saying to us? Well, here's what God has been saying about our Avon campus. Here is a look of our Avon campus. You can see the building out here. Here's the, the track, sports fields. And then we actually own, uh, we used to develop these. We have kind of left them for a while because we've been praying. We've had a number of ideas pop up, things we've looked into, and so far we don't have a clear leading from the Lord. What you can see here is approximately 50 acres. It's remained underdeveloped and undeveloped for almost 40 years. We believe that God gave us this land for a reason. We believe he expects us to maximize every resource to advance his kingdom. It's ultimately about people meeting Jesus, though. So if you took an aerial shot of this land a decade ago and two decades ago and three decades ago, it would pretty much look about the same. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 25 about a man who gave some of his workers resources to invest. Then he left for a long time, and then he came back to see what they did with it. One of the workers did nothing. He was the worker given one talent. So when the master shows back up, he took away the talent, and he gave it to another worker who was properly investing the resources. Matthew 25, 29, Jesus says, For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken away. That humbles me. My friend Ben Bullard on staff said to me, he said, Matt, if Jesus comes back next year and he says, What'd you do with the land I gave you? I would say, Well, we kept it just in case we had a bigger idea one day. Here's the thing as a pastor of this church, we want to please God with what he has given us. And I don't have an answer yet. Everything we've pursued up to this point, God seems to be shutting the door. But we know this, he's not done with this corner on 10th of Dan Jones, and he's not done with this property. Here's what I want you to do. Will you just pray with us about how God can leverage this land, this property, to reach the thousands and thousands of lost and unchurched families within two miles of our Avon campus. We believe the church is plan A. There is no plan B. We are his plan to reach people. Before we go on to the second thing, would you just join me in praying real quick for that? Heavenly Father, I don't believe you're done with Tenth the Dan Jones. I believe you planted this church here over 40 years ago. I've seen it do amazing things. Thousands and thousands of people have come through here, uh, been saved, given their lives to you. Some sent off as pastors and missionaries. Some have left here and gone to other churches and are serving there phenomenally, moved to other towns, graduated, gotten jobs, serving in the workplace. Thank you for the impact of Kingsway, but God, we know you're not done. There are too many thousands of people who don't know you in our backyard. God, Open our eyes, give us a vision. Open the doors, not open the doors meaning it'll be easy, but God, open the doors with clarity that we would hear your voice and follow you faithfully. God, as we continue to pray this prayer, moving us, stir in us, God. We love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name. All God's people said. Now that's the one I don't know yet. But here's the one I do know. Now I want you to travel with me about 15 to 20 minutes west and south towards Plainfield. Here is downtown Plainfield. If you haven't been there in a while, it's kind of changed a little bit, huh? I don't know if you know this. At the 8 a.m. service, almost nobody knew it. But Plainfield has set aside over $150 million, apparently they're going to win the lottery, to be used to revitalize all of downtown Plainfield. Did you know that? In fact, Walmart has moved in. And as we know, Walmart never does anything accidentally, do they? In fact, there's a bank right next to that Walmart that recently spent a million dollars for less than one acre just to make sure that they reach the rooftops in the area that is starting to grow and thrive out there. I don't even know if you realize how many families are now living in West Plainfield. Do you know that? Did you have a view of that? Some of you are like, yeah, drive from over there. Here we go. Did you know that there are 12 plus neighborhoods on a radius of a half a mile? Of that Walmart. And in this one concentrated area alone, there are over 3,500 new homes. And they're about to build another 1,500 or more in the coming year. That represents thousands, thousands of families. And the average age of the adults living in these new homes is gonna be 34 years old with two children. This is why Hendricks County Regional Medical just purchased seven acres to build a multi-site just like they have in Brownsburg. I kind of think it's evident to everybody in Plainfield that this is the place where the growth is happening. South Saratoga Parkway has become the West Plainfield hub. And there's a piece of land there that God has brought to our attention. This 22-acre block of land is for sale. And it's in the heart of the exploding West Plainfield area. If you notice, this property is also linked with the bike and walking trail that thousands of people use each week. Plainfield has a dream to connect all of their parks through this trail, as well as Avon has a dream to connect it to theirs. Hundreds of our leaders have been praying for over 90 days for God to let us know what he wants Kingsway to do about this opportunity. Now, we know that thousands of families are lost and unchurched in West Plainfield. Today, families are looking for hope, community, and meaning. In fact, several times after we were praying on the land, people would actually stop us and tell us how excited they were that there might be a church coming to West Plainfield. One couple actually stopped us and said, is Kingsway praying about starting a church on that land? And we said, yes. Again, we were praying about starting. We weren't sure yet. And they said, oh, we've been praying for God to bring a church here. It's the perfect place for a church. How crazy is that? Now, we also went to a major developer in our community to get feedback and wisdom on this land. And he said, it's the perfect place for a church. So I'm excited today as your pastor to let you know that our leaders have heard God's voice on this decision and we are joyfully united. Kingsway is buying that land and planting our first multi-site in West Plainfield. Crazy, Crazy. Hundreds of families are gonna receive Christ and join us in God's mission to reach our community and the world for his glory. So what's next? Well, first, first, I invite you, just go to our website. Go to kingswaychurch.org backslash plainfield, and you can find out more information. There's lots in there. Start to talk about this, have this conversation, and what it means. But second, so at the end of every year, we know you're gonna be full-on press for you to give your money somewhere hospitals, community organizations, all kinds of people are gonna say, hey, give to us. Many of you are gonna get all kinds of things. You're gonna figure out your taxes and figure out where do we put these dollars. Some of you are gonna get bonuses and perks and all those things. And every year we say, you know what, if you're gonna give that money somewhere, would you consider giving it here? Well, I'm gonna invite you to do that now more than ever. Our hope is with normal giving, we will pay our bills, so that has to go, that's part of the budget. But that by the end of this year, we will raise an additional $700,000 and 100% of that will go to buying that property. Today, we've seen firsthand through just the dollar club as well as many other stats that I've shared that when we join forces together as a church, that God can do amazing things through us, right? This year-end giving goal is no different. There may be somebody or a couple of somebody that's in our church who could write a $700,000 check. I don't know. I've not met them yet. But I'm gonna guess that collectively, we can knock this one out, no problem, easily. In fact, a, f- a couple years ago, I said guys, money's getting tight right now, it's The year, end of the year, would you consider giving? And you guys gave, I believe it was $500,000. So I know we can get to 700,000 if we give collectively. We could serve West Plainfield together. We could fuel the mission by giving funds and investing in God's work. Together we could see men, women, boys, and girls come to know Jesus. So church, let's unite together under this one act that totally expresses our care and our love for Hendricks County. So now between today and December 31st, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to pray about it. Go listen to your father. If he's been speaking to us, I guarantee you he's gonna speak to you. I don't know what he's gonna say, but you go talk to him, you get on your knees, and when he gives you a number, you just faithfully follow through on the number. This is going to be a glorious future. I am so glad I get to be your pastor at this season of our church. So here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna gonna ask our executive team and our elders to come up on stage. Now I'm gonna ask everybody in the room to just stand up. We're gonna close today with this awesome prayer of thanks to God. Dale Justice, who is our uh, senior elder, Dale has been with us for years. He's a great man. If you don't have the honor of knowing him, I'm sad for you. Dale is a great man who's served this church on and off for many, many years. And I'm going to have Dale pray for us. And um, let's just pray that this be a powerful day, a turning point
1: in the life of our church. Senior elder, huh? <laughs> Wonder how he got that title. When you get a microphone, you can, you can do whatever you want. Uh-oh, he's got a microphone. <laughs> Please join me in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, God, you have been so good to Kingsway. You have poured out your love, your resources, wisdom, discernment, and we thank you for that. God, I had the opportunity this weekend to see so many of your uh, mission work uh, by attending the Conference on Missions. And I saw booths from all over the world places where it's very difficult to do what we're about to do. But they boldly go, knowing that Christ is gonna be there ahead of them. So God, I pray that as a church, that we can look beyond our present circumstances, that we can look beyond our own strength that we'll be able to cast out any fear. And God, we know that you have a plan for us. God, you have made a way for us where it looked like there was no way (laughs) in the chorus that we sing. You are truly the God, the Jehovah Jireh, Mm. that we can count on you to provide everything that we need because we know that we're about your work, your vision, help us always to focus on your vision, Lord. Help us to be more intentional, God, even here at 10th and Dan Jones, as being ambassadors for you, reaching the people here as well as in uh, West Plainfield. Mm. Help us, Lord, to be the church that you want us to be. God, I thank you for your generosity again of love for all of our people here. And so God, I just ask your blessing for wisdom and discernment as we go about this task. And God, we're gonna give you the praise and the glory for everything that's accomplished because we ask these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen.
0: God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.